Yes, that's good stuff right there. It's awesome. Well, we don't need no stinking electricity around here or internet. I was thinking this week about how oftentimes the thing that we find, some things that seem insignificant are actually indispensable. A lot of times in my, our kitchen, there'll be this just like random plastic part or the screw that will show up. And we're like, where did that come from? And it'll maybe sit there for a week or two. And guaranteed, as soon as we throw that sucker away, it's like, oh, that's the appliance that needed that part. And now like, where? There's no way we're going to get that thing. And we're starting a message series today going through the book of Jude. And the book of Jude is like one of those little overlooked parts. It's, a, it's the second to last book in the New Testament. It's one page, 25 verses, 25 or 26 verses, really short. It's, I don't think I've ever preached a message out of Jude before in my life. But as we started digging into this, we realized, man, this is, this is, it's like he wrote this letter to the church in America today, kind of like letter to the American church. This is like so spot on for the world we live in and the message we need to hear. So I'm excited. Wow, this is fun. Um, that's not going to work, huh? <clears throat> that indispensable part. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, that's the way weighing it down there. Thanks. See, we need the body there, some wisdom. That's good. Um, but Jude, just to introduce it a little bit, Jude was actually the younger brother of Jesus. Well, just think about that. Technically, the younger half-brother, okay, because same mom, different dad. But he grew up with Jesus. We see this mentioned a couple of places in the, in the Gospels. In, in Mark 6.3, they're talking about Jesus in his hometown, and they say, is not this, speaking of Jesus, the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas, which is another way to say Jude, and Simon. So he, Jude grew up around Jesus. But we're going to look at how, really our title today is, is how Jesus is more than your bro. All right, more than your bro. And for Jude, for a big chunk of his life, Jesus was his bro. He, I'm sure he thought highly of him. I'm sure he had a good relationship. But he was slow to grasp the fullness of who Jesus actually was. In fact, in, in um, well, just before we get into that, as you can imagine, I mean, it's really interesting. Brother dynamics, and, you know, I'm sure they had their, their share of, you know, getting on each other's nerves um, for different reasons. And all there's the family dynamics make it very, you know, very interesting. But just to kind of get us in the right frame, we're going to watch a short video that just sort of lays out some of the dynamics between brothers, specifically oldest brothers and middle and younger brothers. So you may have seen this before, but let's go ahead and see if this plays. Oh, some audio. Shoot. 
Are we going to be able to get audio? No audio this morning? OK, well, it's a great video. <laughs> the gist of it is there's an older brother. I don't know if you guys have seen these three. I think they make some great videos. But the, the middle and the youngest brother are like, hey, why are you tell, why are you, I bet you think we should be wearing pants today because it's winter. And you're wearing pants. You're wearing jeans. But we're not going to. You can't make us. And he's like, look, I'm just like walking around in my pair of pants. Like, I'm not putting anything on you. You can do whatever you want. But yeah, you always, they, they go, they're just having their reaction as the, the younger middle brother. And he's, he says, well, I mean, it would be. It is like 30 degrees outside. So you, you might want to consider covering up a little bit more. And they're like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, you just leave us. We know what we're doing. And then it shows the last scene, like they're outside waiting for the bus, and the older brother is just like <laughs> comfortable. And the middle brother is like <laughs> shivering, trying to act like he's not showing it. And the little brother is just like, <clears throat> like really mad, but not going not gonna to give in. And so think about Jesus being your oldest brother. Like, there'd be some whole, like, man, like, you know, all this stuff, the oldest brother, man, he always is the overachiever and never messes up. Well, there's Jesus. I'm sure, I'm sure they had some issues um, to deal with. And it says in, in John 7.35, there's a story, and it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Wow. I mean, they had had 30 years of knowing him. And when it came to recognizing the fullness of who he is, they, they're like, wow, this is, you know, you're a good guy and all, but... This whole Messiah thing? I'm not sure about that. And then you're throwing out stuff like, before Abraham was, I am. It's like, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, okay, wait, I know you as my bro. And you're like saying some stuff that's way beyond that. And even his own brothers did not believe in him. So um, our first point today, well, let's just look at the first verse of, of Jude. And I encourage you... Um, to, to open up your Bible, whether you've got a, a book or it on your phone or something. I encourage you this morning to open it up and kind of look at it as we go. Um, today's maybe a good reminder of the importance of having a physical Bible in your possession because, you know, if, if the grid goes down, the internet goes down, like you want to be able to have God's Word. And actually, I want to encourage you always, every Sunday, to take notes. I, I really think the, the truths we're hitting on today are really important. And if you want to take notes on your phone, or we have a bunch of notebooks over on the table over there, feel free to grab one. And I think there's some really good takeaways here for all of us. Um, so feel free to do that. But Jude 1, it says, this is the introduction. This is a letter, and it follows the form of typical letters that were written. Um, at this time, there's kind of not too different from now. There's a greeting, and then there's the body of the letter, and then there's going to be a short closing at the end. And so the greet, here's the greeting. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. There's actually a lot in there. But you'll notice in his identification, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. It's interesting, he, he identifies himself as the brother of James, which James actually had become the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, so he was, was well known. 
But Jude doesn't self-identify as the natural brother of Jesus. But what he does identify as is as a bondservant or a slave of Jesus. And I think that's really profound, that he's not, he's gotten to a place of seeing his relationship with Jesus, not in natural terms, not with what could be grasped with his own intellect or just what seemed natural, but he's had a greater revelation, a greater understanding of who Jesus is. So much so that he's willing to call his own, to call his own brother his master, to call his own brother the one who he wants to be the bondservant of and has chosen to be a bondservant of. And so our first point here in this whole idea of, man, seeing Jesus as, as more than your bro is you can't grasp the truth. And Jesus is the truth. You can't grasp the truth by natural means. You can't grasp the truth, the real truth, by natural means. And that's the mistake that we so often easily fall into and our whole culture falls into is judging things by what seems right in our own eyes, by what feels right, by what seems right naturally to us. What seemed right naturally to Jude never would have gotten into the place of recognizing Jesus for who he was. There was something greater that happened. Um, you know, for one thing, the truth of who Jesus is, it was, it's too wonderful. It's too awe-inspiring, too mysterious for us to grasp it naturally. This is a, he's, a, he's a man, but he's God. He's from eternity, but he became flesh. He died and rose again. Like, you can't grasp that with your natural mind. It's, it's, the, it is a, it's too wonderful, too incredible. And so that would be one reason why, why Jude wasn't able to do that. Another reason is, and it's the same thing for us, is we can't grasp who Jesus is because of familiarity. Jude was like, man, I, he was good and all, but I mean, he's the guy, like, I gave him a noogie, like, we, like, got on each other's nerves. Like, I, I, I know he was, he was good in the rabbi school and all that, but, like, naturally, there was a familiarity about, oh, I think I know him. And that's true for us, too. Like, we, we can think, whether because of religious background or maybe our family has some sort of Christian experience or we've been around church, that familiarity of, like, oh, yeah, I got this. That keeps us from the same fullness of knowing who he is. It's interesting that when Jesus came, the place that received him the least was his own family in his own hometown. It says that in his own town of Nazareth, he could do few miracles there because of their unbelief. They're the ones that were most familiar with him. He'd grown up there. They thought they knew him. But then thinking they knew him, thinking they got it, kept them from really grasping and being able to see who he was, which other people could just like have fresh eyes and go, wow, this seems like the Messiah. But his homies were like, no, yeah, that, obviously that's not the Messiah. Like we've known him his whole life. And so familiarity always, always does that. In fact, you know, at first they were, when he started his ministry, they were kind of like, oh yeah, this is good. Yeah, he's Joseph's son and those are gracious words. Oh, wow. But then when he started really saying who he was, and really challenging them, they quickly got offended and actually tried to kill him. 
And so even that's, our, our familiarity can keep us, not only from not recognizing who he is, but being enemies of him and his agenda in our life. Um, familiarity is, 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 is such a, a detriment to us really knowing Jesus, really knowing the truth. It's interesting that, that most religions like Jesus. Talk to a Buddhist, you talk to a Muslim, you talk to a Hindu, you talk to the average person in America who's just like, yeah, I just kind of pick and choose, take the best from all religions, which actually is a really arrogant thing to do, but that's another story. They, it's interesting that they all like their version of Jesus. They're like, yeah, we like Jesus. He's, he's kind. He's about peace. He's, man, yeah, he's compassionate. We like these things. We will add him to our assortment of beliefs and values and our philosophy of life and just fit him right in there in a way that just sort of like makes us feel good and reinforces the way we already think. And you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the He Gets Us commercial that aired during the Super Bowl for the, the second year in a row. And I think there's the, it's interesting, my, my son had some friends over watching this commercial. And, you know, one of his buddies commented right after that. He's like, you know, they, they, the commercial came on. And he said, you know, I, I like Jesus. You know, I, I like Jesus. I, he's, I figured exactly how he said it. But there's, I actually like him. And... But it's interesting. I mean, that's good. And there, there are a lot of good qualities of Jesus that are expressed in, in those commercials. But the challenge is they only go so far. And they talk about the part of Jesus that everybody would like. But when it gets to the part that crosses our agenda, that crosses our current way of thinking, that challenges us, that call us to, to love people that we actually don't think are good people, then that's when the rubber meets the road. And so, you know, other religions like Jesus, but Jesus doesn't like other religions. Jesus says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So the, every other path, every other religion, like that has got to fade away. That's got to be replaced by a relationship with me and faith in the true Jesus. Um, you can't, but you can't grasp the truth by natural means. If you want to, for Jesus to be more than your bro, there's got to be something supernatural that happens. And, um, you know, I think, but also that, that's, that's because it has to overcome the stuff in us that's resistant. I know we didn't see the video, but there's the stuff in a little brother. I mean, there's natural competitiveness that would keep you from, from seeing, from hearing wisdom from your older brother, your pride your combativeness, your difficulty with authority. Those things kept those little brothers, younger brothers, from getting the wisdom that their older brother had. And that's, that same pride, that same difficulty with authority is, is in us too. Um, you know, there's, and this is the whole theme. We're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks. But all throughout Jude, it talks about how our natural impulses, our natural instincts that seem so right to us, actually lead us astray. It talks about how in, in Jude, um, well, we'll get there in a second. We'll get there later. But let's go back to the first two verses of Jude. Just read that one more time. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept 
for, and literally that's be kept by Jesus Christ, kept in Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. The called, to those who are the called, to those who are beloved in God the Father, those who are kept in Jesus Christ. How do we come to know the truth? It's not by what we can conjure up in our own minds, in our own natural senses, in what seems right to us, but it's the grace of God coming to us. It's his call coming to us. It's him holding us and keeping us and working in our life. It's really everything to do with him that allows us to see Jesus, allows us to see the truth as more than, more than the familiarity, more than what we can see naturally. It's him calling us. It's him loving us. It's him keeping us. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, that A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. A natural man, our natural way of thinking, cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But we, as believers, those who have been born again, we have the mind of Christ. So this is just so important. So important. We can get into arguments and debates with people to try to expound on the truth, and it's important to present the truth, and logic is good, and this is reason, it is not, it's doesn't, it's not unreasonable, but it is super reasonable, super reasonable. It's beyond our own intellect. But ultimately, the truth is something that the Spirit of God has to come to us, and has to come to someone for us to grasp who Jesus is and to know him. And that's what happened to Jude. That's what happened to us. That's what can, can happen to us. So continuing on, um, the first thing, we can't grasp this by natural means. It has to be God's spirit. It has to be the work of God. He calls us. He loves us. He keeps us. Um, you know, and those of you, I think, honestly, you know, if, if you have come to a place of believing in Jesus, you can point that out being a reality. That in some way, like, you know, I was, whatever seeking that I was doing, like, that wasn't just me. You know, in many ways, would be like, I wasn't even seeking God. But he just, like, grabbed me. Or he just, like, showed up in my life, and he, like, revealed himself to me. Or, you know, through, through various means. But we realized, wow, that wasn't just, like, me, but it was the grace of God. And that is the thing that has to happen for us, for us to know the truth. All right, continuing on. Verse 3. He's getting into the body of the letter here. Beloved, although I was very angry, very angry, not very angry. He's going to sound angry. Kids sound angry, but not really. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I'm appealing to you. I, would have, I want to write about our common salvation. I want to write about the blessings we've received in God, how he saved us, how he is saving us how he will save us. I, that's so good. I would have liked to write more about that. But man, because of what's going on in the world, because of what's going on in your church, because of what's going on in your life, I've got to write to you that you've got to contend. You've got to strive for. You've got to wrestle for. There are things trying to keep you from the real faith. 
There are things that are wanting the faith to, to dissipate or be distorted. So I'm writing to con- that you have got to contend for this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's not only because of what's going on in you, but certain people, in verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Man, it's, there are people, there are teachers, there are voices, there are influencers who have crept in to the world and crept into the church to, to distort this message and to take the message of the grace of God and turn it into sensuality. I heard an interview this, this past week, I heard so many examples this week as we all do every week, of the false teaching. It's, it's in the church, and it's in our culture. In media, politics, government, business, medicine. I mean, there's, there's so much. I was listening to, a, to a, an interview from the pastor of the biggest church in Kansas. And it's, I'll just say, it's Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. It's the biggest United Methodist church in America. And um, I heard an interview with, with, with the pastor, and I was like, man, 95% of what he's saying, I was like, yes, 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 true. It sounds so good. It sounds so good that, you know, it's about loving Jesus and loving people and loving our communities, and it's about, it's about the gospel making a difference in the world, and it's about being faithful followers of Jesus and fully devoted followers of Jesus. And like the language is so good. And I hear his testimony. I'm like, yes, wow, it's awesome how God saved you as a young man. And this is so good. But then there's this 5%. That is, I don't, it's false teaching. There's no other way to, to, to evaluate it biblically. Where he's saying, hey, yeah, but when it comes to issues of sexual integrity, that if someone like, really feels like they're very strongly about certain impulses, then we need to affirm that. And to even like same-sex marriage, like the church needs to endorse that because it's a, we need to have room for, for same-sex marriage in our, in our churches. And it's like, wow, right here. What does it say? Pervert the grace of God into sensuality. It's... And it's all throughout our culture. So the second, second point today, how do we let, have Jesus be not just a bro, not just the one who's like affirming us in what we want, but the one who is Lord and Master. Is you, you can't, don't let your faith get twisted. Don't let your faith get twisted. We need to make sure, you need to make sure that your faith is not just, you know, it's like my truth. Not just your truth, but the truth. You need to make sure that your faith is the faith that was once for all delivered to all the saints. And the truth, it's the truth of God. It's the truth of who he is. It's the truth of his commandments. It's the truth of how he calls us to live. It's the truth of, of, of scripture. Let that faith be your faith. And that's the faith that has power to change our lives. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, it's so, so much. This week, 
you know, I, I think for most of us, where we're inundated by these lies is not in the church, but it's in the rest of our culture. And so many of the authorities in our culture are really so not true. And the, the authorities that present themselves as the most objectively true, the most trustworthy, really are not trustworthy. This week, there was a top Columbia University cancer doctor and researcher, Dr. Sam S. Yoon. He's conducting his, his research at the Sloan Kettering Can Cancer Center in, in New York. It's one of the top cancer research centers in, in America. He had to have, so he's teaching at Columbia, right? I, Ivy League school, so you're like, okay, top of the, top of the pinnacle here. You know, high, smart, establishment, this is good. Well, he had to have a paper retracted because someone looked through it and, real, and, and caught him that it was just made up. And the pictures that he had with the conclusions in this paper, really realized, wait, that picture doesn't match what he's saying. And they started digging more. And they realized, oh, like, he's actually used these same images in multiple papers. Like, here, he's saying, this is the conclusion, and this is my research, and he's got this image. And then he just like copied and pasted these same images all throughout different, different publications. So he had this paper retracted. There are 26 more papers that are, that are, there are a lot of discrepancies and question marks in them as well because the images don't match the data. It's like, wow, cancer research, this is really important. I mean, this is something close to my heart. This is people's lives and millions and millions of dollars that's being based upon this top research. But it's just totally fraudulent, actually. And another, uh, another cancer doctor um, said this, Dr. Vinay Prasad, he said this, scientific papers are like someone's dating profile on an app. They're picking what pictures to show you and what stories to tell you. You don't get to see the whole library of photos on their phone. Researchers are only presenting a sliver of what they've actually done. And just like a dating app on your phone, everything is inaccurate. Okay, how about that? All right, so think twice before you trust the, the experts out there. We could go on and on, but it, you know, it's not only, it's, it's all over. Um, you know, I just, this, we could dissect so many things. I mean, there was the Pfizer Super Bowl ad. It's like, wow, there's, look at that, study that, and look at what, what's actually truthful in here. It's like very little, nothing. Um, I'm, in a, I'm actually sending out, if you're on our email list um, for Bluemont emails, I'm, there's an email coming out this afternoon and it's got a couple articles that are related to something I'm about to talk about in a little bit that are digging more into that. But also there's this, this animated video for kids that represents the story of creation. And it's just so demonic. Like, it's, it twists it in a way that's just like, oh my goodness, that is wild. But it's so appealing, so it's nice, beautiful images. It looks good. But it's just so undermining the truth. There are counterfeits all over the place. And the thing about counterfeits, you've got to realize, is that the better the counterfeit, the more the truth it has in it. Right? If you, if you want to counterfeit a $100 bill, it doesn't look like Monopoly money. If it's not, it's not going to be a very effective one. But if it's almost the same, but then a little bit off, that's, that's what makes it a good counterfeit. And so you've got to really study the real deal to be able to discern between the, the counterfeit and the real.
a couple of questions for us to ask to figure out, is it, is, is it just our truth, or is, it, is my faith being twisted? Um, good questions to ask are, is this man-centered or God-centered? Look at that Lilith. That's the, this animated video that's coming out. It's so man-centered. Deceptions are usually appealing to our self-interest. So is it man-centered or God-centered? And then the second question to ask is, does this separate faith from a godly lifestyle? Does this give us a version of, of faith, a version of truth that doesn't require us to live godly? It doesn't require us to change. It doesn't address our sexual integrity. It doesn't address the parts of our life. You know, I, I heard it said early on in my life that if you haven't given, you haven't given God anything until you've given him your love life. So true. It's to really give our God our, God our life. We haven't really, we're not going to really be able to see God use us to battle evil in the world until we can battle sexual immorality and temptation in our own life. Those are just like, that is where it starts. And so real faith, it, it, deal, it calls us to a different life and it gives us the power to live a different life. Um, you know, so many, so many, so many lies, so many places. You know, one, one just examples of just where we hear this all the time. Um, you hear the idea in many different ways that you can enjoy the pleasure of sex and separate it from commitment and the possibility of procreation with no negative consequences. And that's just so pervasive. But that's not true. God's truth about sex is that. The pleasure part has to be connected to commitment and the possibility of procreation. That's all in God's plan. You mess with that, you start messing it up. Now, there's a common lie that we hear is the, the problem in the world is it's too many people. People are a drain. People are using our resources. They're a cancer. But that is totally not God's viewpoint. God sees people as his greatest creation. We're not a drain. We're creative. We're creators. And the world needs more people. The problems of the world are, the problems of America that America are facing largely, and, the, and Western, the West, Western Europe, the Western world, is actually a lack of people. And the consequences are, are severe. Gender is a social construct. We could go on and on. But so many, so many lies where the truth is presented in our culture, we have to contend for what is really true, or, or we're going we're gonna to fall apart. Um, just hit on this a little bit, that phrase in there, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. One of the ways the enemy works to deceive us is he always appeals to our natural senses. He always appeals to our natural perceptions, our natural senses. You look at the creation story and you know, the first couple, first two chapters, first page or two, it's like most God is God. He created everything. He's Lord of all. He made us with a mission. He gave us charge to care for the earth. And then, like, page two, we're introduced to the protagonist, the serpent. And not the protagonist, the antagonist, thanks. I'm glad I heard some rumblings about that. See, you got to be careful. That 5% really messes you up. Gets in there. Man, this whole message is just counterfeit. So, but what does the serpent do? That it says Adam and Eve saw 
that the, the fruit was pleasing to the eye. There's their senses. It tasted good. And it was desirable to make one wise. It appealed to their pride. Their natural senses. And this is Adam and Eve. This is before they sinned. This was at the peak of their innocence. And you would think wisdom. But even then, they were susceptible that when they started trusting their senses, instead of what God had said, they were led astray. Okay, so if that happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, how vulnerable are we? How much do we trust our natural senses? Not a good idea. Jude 1.10 says later on in, in, the, in this letter, he says, These people blaspheme all they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like, unreason, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. We're like, oh, that's my sense. Jude's like, hey, you're an animal. You're an animal that's taking the bait for a trap. That's just an instinct. That is not what you should base your life upon. That will lead you to a trap. So we've got we to contend for this faith that it's not twisted into something else. All right, and then the last two verses we're going to read here today. Um, actually, before I read that, I'm just going to uh, remind us of the first phrase, how he starts this letter. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 4, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Okay, and it's about to get really intense. All right, we'll save the rest for the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> but this is wild that little brother Jude had had a metamorphosis. And he not only starts off saying, hey, I'm the slave of Jesus. But he's my master. He's my Lord. Jude dealt with his authority issues. He dealt with the pride and the insecurity and the self-will and the stuff that kept him from the truth. And he came to a place of joyfully saying, hey, he's, he's not just my bro. He's the boss. He's my master. He's my king. He's my leader. He's not just the bro. He came to the place of realizing that I'm going to stand before this Jesus one day and give an account for my life. And not just me, but every human being is going to stand before him as the judge of the living and the dead. And he, he, had a, he, he came to a place of embracing that authority. Now today, 40% of self-described evangelicals don't attend church. The, it's just so pervasive in our world to be the, like, oh, I've, I've got a personal relationship with God. He's my bro. He's my savior. He's my homeboy. He's whatever. But I'm going to just, why do, you, why do you think about attending church? Because that's that's indicative of I am not joining his team and serving him. I am still in the driver's seat of my life. 
and living for me. And it's kind of like I pick and choose what I'm doing and what I add. But it's, it's not this place of surrendering your life. And to come to, to know Jesus more than our bro, to, to know him as who he really is, it's this all out, all in, recognizing him and surrendering our lives to him. Now, we've all got tendencies. We've all got tendencies that work against this. Um, you could probably talk about your brother or sister's tendencies easier than your own. But we all got tendencies. Jude has a list in this 25-verse letter. He has a list of things people do. And go ahead, put that up here. I'm just going to list. There are actually 26 things that he says describing the way that we reject authority, basically. And um, there's a lot. I don't know, can you guys read that? Maybe some of you. I just, we're ungodly. People pervert grace and sensuality. We deny Christ. We indulge in sexual immorality. We pursue unnatural desire. We rely on dreams. We defile the flesh. We blaspheme what we don't understand. We reject authority. We're like unreasoning animals. We're jealous murderers. And this is just like some major like dissent. Uh, this is like, you could make some raps with all this stuff. <laughs> Sorcerers, hidden reefs, waterless clouds. I mean, you got to think about that one. Shepherds feeding themselves, fruitless trees, twice dead. You're not just dead, you're twice dead. Uprooted, rebels, wild waves, shameful, wandering, harsh, grumblers, malcontents, divisive. Following our own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, worldly, devoid of the spirit, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Why are you bringing? Why are this? Why are you rubbing this in our face? We're like, well, Jude does. I and why does he do it? It's because we got to realize that, like, this is the reality of our our inclination to go our own way, to to be our own boss and to not embrace his, his authority. I heard it said this week by a friend of mine, something that, that I've often said, that I don't trust people who haven't been crossed. I just tell you, when someone starts coming around Bluemont, it's like, this is great. Man, they're hungry, they're open, they're learning. There's a moment coming. It may be tomorrow, it may be in a month, it may be in three months. but. When that person's will is crossed, when God puts their finger on something in their life that is different than what they want to do, and how, how they respond, that's when I begin to know, okay, either it's really about you or it's really about Jesus. Because if it's about Jesus, it's when we're crossed, when we hear things that we don't like, when we deal with people we don't like, when we're asked to do something we don't want to do, how do we respond when we're crossed? That's the real indication of where we are. And so to see Jesus more than our bro, we gotta, we got um, to come to a place of, of embracing his authority in our life. That, um, that last part of, of verse 5 is really interesting. Um, it said that, said that Jesus, let's read it again. 
Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt and then afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Kind of like, wait, I was, Jesus wasn't around in the Old Testament. He showed up later. Why is Jude saying that Jesus led people out of Egypt? Why is he saying that Jesus destroyed those who didn't believe? Well, it's because Jude came to a very high understanding of who Jesus is. He realized that Jesus just didn't just show up on the scene when Mary got pregnant. But Jesus is the I am, the word who's from eternity, the uncreated one. He realized that Jesus is the one who, who led the people of Israel out of, out of Egypt. He realized that he was God. And, um, you know, this is really interesting. We could, uh, I'm not going to go into it very much, but even in the Old Testament, there are these appearances. They're, of, they're called theophanies. They're appearances of God, appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. They're where, it's where God takes on the form of a person and interacts with people. That happened in the garden. That happened with Abraham, that happened with Lot, that happened with Jacob, that happened with Joshua, Gideon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are these, these appearances all throughout the scripture. And sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord. Um, the angel literally means messenger. And, or it could also be translated, as, or depending on the, con- the context, it could be king or, am- or uh, ambassador, prophet, priest. And so really, it was Jesus on earth, walking around. And the Jewish people even had a whole theology. They called it the two powers of heaven because as they, as they wrestled with these encounters, they were like, wait, here's this angel of the Lord talking to Moses and saying that he's going to lead the people out of captivity. But then, like, but then he disappears and then he's called Lord. I mean, he's, he's called Lord, not just the angel of the Lord, and he's called God. And if you look at these, these scripture, these accounts, it's like, wait, those really have like divine qualities. And the Jews even had a whole theology. They called it the two powers of heaven, that there was a spirit of God. Two, two Yahwehs, Yahweh in heaven and Yahweh's presence on earth sometimes. And they were, they were trying to figure out, like, is this the, like, what, what is that? But they had a whole theology. And so when the Christians came on the scene, or when Jesus came on the scene, people put, put the pieces together like, oh, the second Yahweh, oh, that's Jesus. And actually in the second century, the Jews outlawed that theology of the two powers of heaven because it was too clear that that was pointing to Jesus. And so Jude they realized, oh my goodness, like, my brother, that's God. Oh, man. Wow, he was the one who led Israel out of, out of captivity. He was the one who destroyed those who didn't believe. Oh, man, he's my master. And so God wants us to, to come to that same place. He wants to be not just a bro to us, but more than a bro, be our master, our king. He is in, insistent upon his truth being the thing that rules the world and the thing that rules our life. And not because he's a tyrant, but because it's what's good for us. It's what 
good for the world. It's what brings flourishing. Um, but we, um, t- there's this process of letting him renew our minds. Letting him look at our natural senses, our dreams, our ambitions, and go, okay, Lord, maybe that's not what's true. Lord, would you, would, would you bring your authority into my life? And we're going to get into this more over the next, over the next few weeks. Um, but you know, maybe this morning God's putting his finger on something that, oh, maybe I'm relying on this. I'm relying on this instinct. But maybe I need to reevaluate that. I'm relying on this inclination. I've believed this way of thinking. But actually, that's not God's word. Okay, God, let's, let's look at your word. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at what do you say about this. And you, know, you get the sense as Jude is writing, there's, not, there's no like, um, remorse. He's not like, oh, shoot, I was wrong. I got to do this because I have to. Yeah, big brother, you were right. But it's this awe and worship. Like, yes, you are worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. And I want to serve you. I want to give my life for you. And, and the, world, the world needs to do that too. And so, man, may, may, that be our, may that be the case in our own lives, in our own hearts. May we see Jesus as more than our bro. May, may he lead us into all truth. And may he bring his authority into our lives. We're going to worship with with one more song. Um, Worship team, you can come on up. And I'll pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are more. You're more You're more than what we've seen of you yet, Lord. There's so much more. Lord, where there's familiarity in our hearts, would you replace that with an awe and a worship and a love for you? Or where there are areas of our heart that, in our thinking, that have been off limits, Lord, would you... um, Help us. Lord, I pray that that we would be people that would say yes in every area of our life. Lord, would you lead us into all truth? Lead us into your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.